Blog Talk Radio. Gentlemen, welcome to the program. We're your host, Matthew and Aaron Miller. Wow, uh, some pretty steep questions uh, we're going to ask tonight. Uh, try to get to the bottom of this second incursion. Uh, as of late, we did a pretty important uh, program on the firstborn of creation. This kind of is that type of scenario we're looking at here. When the rubber hits the road, we have this problem of the second incursion. You can't get around it. You can't. If if you're going to be a Christian, if you're going to believe in the biblical text, if you put your faith in the biblical narrative, you eventually have to come to grips with the simple fact that there were giants. Simple fact that the angels came down and took for themselves wives and created this earthborn, this alternate species, and whatever you'd like to call them. You have to come to grips with this. One of the prime examples of this is, of course, Og of Bashan. Yeah, the largest giant recorded in the Bible, 18 foot tall in um, in the American measure, yep, they call that. The question is, as far as I'm concerned, we know from the Ten Commandments that a curse would endure into the fourth generation, right? We talked about before how big were these boys from their inception. There are rumors uh, we have. Scarce uh, archaeological references to them in antiquity of being purported 36 foot tall. Yeah. When you look at Og of Bashan, he was 18. You take what David faced in the field of battle was half that. Right? Yeah, and, and, a, and a big problem here is also the um, the, the references the references to um, the cedars of Lebanon, like how tall were they? And um, we came to a conclusion that they might have been generally that size, but at least the first ones were, and that was uh, about 130 feet tall. And it's that's pretty humongous. And so, um, like, how do we explain this? I don't know if we talked about it on a different show, but um, we, as far as we can assume, like. Yes, the, when they inherited the angelic um, nature, it seems that their genetic, uh, their genes were damaged um, in some way. I'm not sure how, but um, it seems that they never stopped growing. Um, I doubt that when they were given birth to, they were giants, because that's basically impossible. But when they were given birth to, the, the child would you know, continually grow. Um, we, I, I always assume that probably at the age of accountability is when, and when they start hitting growth spurts, first of all, they choose whether or not to do what's right, and then they um, begin to um, suffer whatever reactions come afterwards. So, which, which, let's, let's pepper this a little bit. We know that the angelic is a hypersensitive entity, right? You get this a little bit in the fictional stories. They did a pretty good job uh, depicting this in the uh, new Superman movie, Man of Steel. You get this sensory overload, right? It's quite possible that's what these... And I've always been trained since I was small 
to remember the things that were going on in the Bible concerning their spirits and to, to pepper, you know, your dealings with them with mercy. And you have to realize that these poor creatures, at the end of the day, you have to feel sorry for them, Aaron, because mm -hmm. we don't know what kind of hypersensitive problems they were having trying to grow. Even in the womb, you realize, even in the womb, they would have had angelic sensory perception. I mean, it might have been driving them crazy because they could actually probably hear everything. They could understand everything they were hearing. I mean, just, just the hearing aspect of hearing your mother's internal workings might have, you know, really uh, made their psyches unstable. And, of course, their psyches would have been unstable anyway because you're talking about something that's, that is angelic in nature but earthborn. So we have these massive problems going on. Anyway, but this is one of the problems that, that they would have encountered was the limitations we have for growth would not have applied. They would not have had those natural restrictions in place for their physique. So just coming to, to grips with, with that, you know, like I stated a few minutes ago, Og was... 18 foot. What David faced in the field of battle, that was 9 foot. So we're getting this this reduction in size. Yeah, but for sure. But, um, so if that is so, then that would mean I mean, I mean how would you interpret what was going on genetically with that? Like, was it unlimited uh, growth spurts or not? Was there just extended growth spurts, but as, as, as they continually were um, divided into generations, they would have um, started getting limitations. I don't know. It's like, it's, 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 I mean, there's no way to scientifically look at it right now. No, no way. I mean, we don't, I mean, but we can, you know, make ideas of what it might have been like. And I had, I had brought up the question, how do we know for sure all of them would grow to that size? Because mutations don't work like that. Mutations are random and sporadic. We do have the evidence of that one in uh, in scripture who had um, like six fingers on each hand, and so so there's implications that they had other genetic problems um, that they were suffering. So, and I had one friend bring up to me like, once you're that size, like could their spines, the cartilage in their spines, really handle all of that weight? Would they have to start basically walking on all fours so they to support their own weight well these are the least of our problems especially genetically let's let's take a look at this okay let's let's really take a look at this what is a human genome a human you understand it has a base slug let's call this a slug i.e you know that you've been programmed to have two sets of nostrils in the middle of your nose formed with a bridge extenuated with cartilage, right? That's a slug. When you're born, you have one. You don't have no choice. What color it is, how white it is, those are all variables inside the equation, right? Mm -hmm. But the slug DNA states, invariably, you do have a nose, correct? Mm -hmm. So we have size, we have color, Right? We even have height. Some people may have a really long nose, but other people have a really short nose off the face of their face, but it's really wide. So these are all sorts of variables, but in that code, it's locked in, you have a nose. You have a nose. It might be a black nose. It might be a white nose. It might be a yellow nose. Y you get the point. These things did not have that. This creates major problems when, when, when an angelic seed has no recessive traits. This creates a nightmare in of itself. I once suggested, but what if angels don't have DNA, they have RNA or something like that? I'm not sure what the big difference is, but that's, that's a huge difference between, vi between viruses. Some have DNA, some have RNA. Correct. And it seems like angels are like viruses in this sense 
viruses, um, some scientists will just say scientists aren't alive because they, they, they defy the laws of what something living is. A living thing has to be able to re reproduce by itself. A virus doesn't. It has to have a host to reproduce. It, what it really does is it injects its DNA into the DNA or RNA into an alien cell, into a living cell, and it and it programs that cell to pre Shoot. produce things for it. And so that's what it seems angels were like. Angels were not meant to reproduce, but they did about the same thing that what viruses do. Well, with that being said, with that being said. How on earth could you have had a second incursion without the sin? Now, let's define this. What we're saying here, for one, creates a major technical problem. Because if you walk up to any preacher, well, first off, if you ever even get the preacher to admit that the Genesis 6 account is true, because most of them will say, no, the Bible's lying. Okay, but if you do get a preacher to say, yeah, that's what really happened, what the Bible says happened in Genesis 6, that's what really happened. You have to come to grips with this. The first thing they will say, if they will admit it is the truth, they'll say, well, the flood was to destroy the giants. Right? That, that's your first problem. Well, I hate to rain on everybody's party. That contradicts the scripture. That's not what the scripture says. And this is the point of contention with even the book of Enoch itself. And people immediately want to reject it. Reject it. They want to reject it. They want to reject it. They want to reject it. What's the first five chapters of Enoch about? It's about the um, how people are transgressing um, what he, what God had made. That's that, right. What, what the Epistle of Jude is quotes from those first five chapters when it says the um, he's sending his thousands and thousands of saints to punish the ungodly who have blasphemed in an ungodly way. And so um, this is really what it what, what was really going on. And it, so the ungodly giants? Be clear. Don't no, beat around the bush. Not really. It wasn't talking about the giants. It was talking about the ungodly human. Yeah. And it does say that that's partially it because all flesh was corrupted. Yes. But the first, but something really stands out. What God says, it says, He was sorry that He had made all creatures because of, because every intention of man's heart of man's was evil only. Man's heart was evil only. So, and that was that was a big thing. And um, there is possible suggestion that it was actually the humans that seduced the angels to do what they did, in a sense. That being stated, okay, this foundation being laid, we're putting this right out there, and, you know, it's just time for us to just, just do this. We need to switch right over uh, to the old Biblio DCSC. Uh, there's no reason to jerk around about this. Let's go to Gen 6, English preferably. Okay, it states... Please start reading, Aaron. Now it came about when men began to multiply on the face of the land, and daughters were born to them, that the sons of God saw that the daughters of men were beautiful, and they took wives for themselves, whomever they chose. Then the Lord said, My spirit will not strive with man forever, because he also is flesh. Nevertheless, his days shall be one hundred and twenty years. The Nephilim were on the earth in those days, and also afterward. When the sons of God came in to the daughters of men, and they bore children to them, those were the mighty men who were of old men of renown. Then the Lord saw that the wickedness of men was great. Wait, of who? Man. Keep reading. In the earth, and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. The Lord was sorry that he had made man on the right. earth, and he was grieved in his heart. And the Lord said, I will blot out man whom I have created from the face of the land, um, what, from man to animals, to creeping things, and to birds of the sky, for I am sorry that I have made them. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. 
Okay, I'm sorry. He gave you a detailed list. It did not say giant. Ladies and gentlemen, j just sorry about that. I mean, it's one thing if you want to argue extra biblically, i.e. take the Bible out of the equation, then we can argue about it. And the angels aren't addressed here either. Exactamundo. In this list, the giants are not mentioned, nor their angelic fathers. Now, uh, one of the big things that we were going to point out in this program was the Book of the Giants. And in it, it refers to a certain giant, the son of Barakal the angel, and he, um, and he starts having visions. And uh, I just saw that his name appears right here in this verse. Blah. And it takes the form Mahavai, or Mahaway, which some translations will say. And that's what it means, to blot out. Just a little bonus for everybody. So, with that in mind, Aaron, how could we have possibly um, had a giant survive past the flood? Now that we've already established the biblical criteria as thus. Yes. And um, we had mentioned this before in other shows, but we didn't. No, we, we mentioned it a little, but we, we brushed it away because it seemed at the time to um, contradict the second incursion. But we still need to look at it. We have a lot of evidence that seemed to be pointing to this happening. Most of it's lost in legend. Uh, we're just trying to figure out, because legend is really based on facts, and it's just degraded over time. And that's that's the difference between a myth and a and a legend. And so, really, the legend of a giant surviving the flood is phenomenal. And we're just trying to figure out what that is. Okay. And one of the most famous of them is the concept that Og of Bashan was the survivor of the flood. And um, Deuteronomy chapter eleven, uh, chapter three, verse eleven, we have. In Deuteronomy chapter 11, chapter 3, verse 11, sorry. It says, For only Og of Bashan was left of the remnant of the Raphaim. Behold, his bedstead was an iron bedstead, which is in Rabbah, of the sons of Amma, Ammon. Its length was nine cubits, and its width four cubits by ordinary cubit. Literally means the cubit of a man. For some reason, the, the rabbis actually took this to interpret that it was saying only his own cubits. So they have insane heights. That they Even, you see, and that's what they're outright saying that this verse is lying. That's not what it said. It said, and it's with four cubits by ordinary cubits. And that's what stands out. That in scripture, we have two different kinds of cubits. We, we have this and the royal cubit. A royal cubit was exactly one-seventh okay. greater. So I'm going to say three different then. There was, um, there, was the royal, there was the ordinary cubit, or the cubit of a man mentioned here. Then there's the royal cubit. And then there is one called the angelic cubit. And it appears, I think this, you, will, you might see it in the book of Revelation, because that's where it appears in our scriptures. But in the book of Enoch, it says, it, it seems to be using a very strange numbering. It says that the giants grew to 3,000 foot tall, and we realize, I realize this is not possible if we're using the, or the, the cubit of a man. This must be angelic cubits. And so that even makes you wonder, um, was the ark a lot bigger than we thought it was? Was it actually using angelic cubits the whole time? And so we have... Anyway, that's a side argument. So here it says he was the only one left of the Raphaim. And then yet you see that Raphaim are still marching around by the time of David. So why is it saying he's the only one left? And so um, our, what, what is trying to be said here? Um, okay, so the, um, so the first interpretation arises in, among rabbinical texts. None of them agree except with the concept that somehow Og made it from the flood. They all will disagree how, and that's how legends tend to be. So instead of, you know, considering, you know, all of them, 
uh, or a certain one of them, we have to say, where can we get these all to agree? They all agree that Og somehow survived the flood. Made it past the flood. And so it's a problem here. It's like, why would God let Og survive if he was just because cause clearly he ends up being an evil person and he has to be killed. So um, that's beside the point. The flood was not to kill the giants. The flood was to wipe out the wickedness of man, for one. Yes, so. the, and that's and, and even in the book of Enoch, this is separated. The, right. the judgment of the angels and the giants is separate from the flood. Right. The, the, the giants were supposed to kill each other, right. and then the angels were supposed to be bound in the abyss. None of that had anything to do with the flood. We don't even know what happened. You know, how? what was the time span between the flood and, you know, all those events? Although you could assume that that's what took 120 years to build the ark. Because I'm sure taking these things out, even them taking each other out, was not exactly easy. Yeah, and it says um, in the Synthelis, right, uh, and in the book of Jubilees, we, it says, it gives us the names of the first three generations of giants. The first one it calls the Earthborn. And the second is Nephilim, which kind of stands out, right? The Earthborn come first, and the descendants of the Earthborn, are second generation, is called Nephilim. The third generation, it calls them the Eliud. I'm not entirely sure what it means, but I think it means the, in a sense, the, the begotten of God, or a God. And basically, the, a Hebrew wording for demigod. And so, these are the first three generations, um, but um, rabbinical texts will agree with this. The Og was the son of Semyaz, oh, uh, the son of Ahia, who is the son of Semyaza himself. So, he's third gen. Um, do we consider, do we consider the angel as a generation? Okay, so he would be second generation then. Well, his Semyaza's son was who? Um, Ahia. That's one. That's first generation is Ahia. His son was what? Og. August second gen. Second. Yeah, gen. and that's what you would call an Ephraim. And so, I um um so the the mention of the Book of the Giants appears. In, uh, okay, so the Book of the Giants is very fragmented, and people believe that it may have originally been part the, um, of the uh, Book of Enoch. But here, um, in this passage called, called Decretum uh, Gelasianium, and it says, and it is recording a bunch of books of uh, Apocrypha at the time which they had rejected. The book about the giant Agaius, of whom the heretics assert that after the flood, he fought with the dragon. Okay, so when it's referring to the heretics, it's because the Manichaeans, who were a sect of Gnosticism, took this book and corrupted it according to their agendas, and we have a lot of fragments of that version. Um, and so, uh, we're not sure exactly what it said, because we don't have fragments of the book that refer to Og making it past the flood, but in my trans, in, in my I, I uh, reconstructed the text. I'm almost finished, I would say, um, with uh, reconstructing it. Um, and here it refers to a war, uh, the, a, a battle between Ahia, Leviathan, and Raphael. Leviathan, we know, is a dragon. In saying Raphael, you're you're triggering you're triggering some events anyway. Literally, you're saying that Ohio come to Raphael's aid to defeat Leviathan, or vice versa. And so we have in the scripture in the book of Enoch it says that God sent Raphael to heal the earth, and his name means the healing of God, and his name also appears in Rapha and Raphaim. Right. The same, and so we made the suggestion. Could this aid have something to do with how a giant was able to survive the flood? 
that God sent an angel to heal him in some manner. We don't know, does it mean genetically or something? And then um, from him descended the Raphaim, and only the Raphaim are the sect of giants that survived the flood. The rest of them, the Emim, the Anakim, and all of those, are post-flood. And they come from the second incursion. Okay, so, so let's get this straight. So because this giant, this son of Semyaza, comes to Raphael's aid, Raphael, you're saying, in turn, heals him. No. In fact, I think this might actually come um, where we get a little Greek mythology in here. Okay. Okay, so um, it says um, in Greek mythology of a certain Orion. Um, Orion uh, is a, we, we reference this in a side um, a side uh, what do we call this? Like devotionals or whatever? The, yeah, devotional videos, whatever. It's a Facebook video. Yeah, and so on there we talked about who is um, who is Orion, and in the heavens, he seems to represent a giant. Uh, uh, we, Orion has always been the giant of the heavens. In the, always. In the, the shepherd of heaven. <laughs> yeah, in, in the, among the Greeks, he was the earthborn, or right. gigantes. Right. In, um, right. And in the uh, Aramaic, his name is Nephil. So, um, he is basically the giant of the sky, and, and we were just looking at what the design of him looks like. He Traditionally, he's holding a bear skin in his hand, but it looks like... Lion's cub. Oh, but it looks like a, a, a bow. A bow. And he's aiming towards Cetus, the dragon. Right for the head of the dragon. Yeah, right and so... And so this seems to point, like, so literally, we have the mighty hunter in heaven. That, that's the exact wording that the Greeks used for him. The mighty hunter. The mighty hunter. And so, clearly a connection to Nimrod somehow. Right. And so, he is fighting um, the dragon, just like these texts seem to imply. Um, so, this Ohio, um, or, um, these... Um, when this Raphael comes to heal them, I mean, like, what does that mean? I mean, and I'm looking around, and it and it kind of hit me that I think he is the founder of Persia. The Greeks called him Perseus, basic Persia, the mm -hmm. demigod, um, and the Greeks called him Perseus, and um, we have. Uh, list of okay so the first one is the Arata kingdom remember this word Arata he was a con this a being with remember he has Kush in his name right mm -hmm. here yep and he was a contemporary of Enmerkar Enmerkar that's right Baruch. and we have evidence that Enmerkar is Nimrod is Nimrod and so, um, and, and so, uh, take Arata, uh, in mind, and now let's go to, uh, Jesus. And <laughs> see, right here we see the name Og in it already. And in the, um, uh, here is a, a text in, found in Eusebius and his preparation for the gospel is what he said. It's called Book Ten, and it says um, that we assert on authority of this work that Argigius, who has given his name to the first deluge, having been saved when many perished, lived at the time of Exodus from Egypt of the time with Moses, proving it in the following way. So they so Af Africanus. Go uses um, uh, certain texts to chronologically pinpoint this event with him, and um, we know that it was Moses who went, who killed Og. So, what is really going on here? Um, how do we interpret the data being um, proposed here? And um, 
I mean, this is this is a really hard one for me to swallow because why would God let somebody evil survive the flood? Um, if it was not Og himself, but this giant, his father, was able to survive. And if you look into the Greek text, Augegus is the king of Beretta. So that gives us the direct connection to Nimrod. Is this one the father of Nimrod? Is this why Nimrod was the pure line of giants, if you want to put it that way, the pure line of giants, and he was hunting the impure, the ones from the second incursion? The ones from the second incursion. Okay, so, okay, so you're saying that this line of Nephilim was called the sons of Rapha. Yes. And, um... So what is Bashan? Bashan is the region of Mount Hermon, which is the mountain from which the angels descended. This really stands out. And then another fact, Bashan in the surrounding region means the underworld. It means hell. Which is a little off the hook, to say the least. Other, other texts um, claim that Baal is the uh, prince of the Raphaim in, in pagan texts. And so, however you want to interpret this, I think it was, it was actually Ohio who survived the flood, and he became the father of this child. But God purified him through the, through Raphael, whatever manner that took. Well, and what does it mean by this Mahaway? This Machvai, who's the the blotting out, was he an instrument of God? Was the saying that God was blotting him out? I don't know. That's a that's a tough call, but we can say this: it is quite possible that what Raphael did to heal this line, quite possible that this angel came down and put restrictions on the genetic code. They all. All of a sudden, now they would have a stopping point for their growth, stopping point for you know bone density. They would stop growing. He would put limitations on their their physique. So, and then I um I, I made the right connections, and I think that he he is what the Sumerians call An or Anu, um basically the Greek version of Uranus. He bore two sons, Enki, or Anak, in my opinion, that's Anak right there, and then he became the father of Bel, or Baal. These were the two big lines at the time. I'm not, I'm not sure where I stand with this yet. I mean, using this concept is quite easy to try to uproot the concept of the second incursion, but why Why do you, what gives you, even with this knowledge, what lets, helps you realize that there is, there is a second incursion for sure? That comes from, of course, Genesis chapter, um, well, most, most listly, 18 and 19. This is what's mentioned in the New Testament saying this is the sin they did. Just like Sodom and Gomorrah, they they came down, took on strange flesh, abandoned their proper abode, and did this thing. So, beyond any shadow of a doubt, this is why Sodom and Gomorrah, that valley was wiped out. You know that beyond any shadow of a doubt. When the angels went down there to go get Lot, not not the women, they didn't show up. Not the men. Lottie Dottie, everybody showed up to get their hands on these angels and rape them. So you know beyond any shadow of a doubt, that's the Old Testament, Genesis uh, 18 and 19, and the New Testament reference is illicit that this happened in the valley of Sodom and Gomorrah. There is no consternation. Yeah. This was the second incursion. They found a catch-22. What and the angels were doing... The New Testament makes it perfectly clear they did not defend themselves. Yeah, let's let's look at the exact passage. Okay, uh, let's let's just go. Let's 
It was a pure dude. Right there. Okay. So, after going describing what the angels did in the flood, it says, um, Just as Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities around them, since they, in the same way as these, indulged in gross immorality and went after strange flesh, are exhibited in an example in undergoing the punishment of eternal fire. So is this talking about angels going behind strange flesh if you want to interpret it that? Or you could do it the other way. Are we talking about humans? If you want to say that we're talking about humans, then you go into the wording of strange flesh. It means other or foreign. And when you say that, it's saying, okay, so, so if you're talking about go, you know, homosexuality, like most people interpret it, um, men have the same flesh. Women have the same flesh as men. Right. And this is literally saying, this is a physical thing that is not their own. And nature different. This is implying that they were taking human women, right? They were taking angelic beings. Because here in the same passage, they're always talking about, uh, Jude keeps talking about, why do you keep reviling angelic beings and stuff like that and well go going back here um it says you go one verse above and it says and the angels who did not keep their own domain this word for keep is what yes to protect they didn't guard themselves they literally literally allowed the humans to rape them and did not protect themselves it's right there Mm -hmm. It's right there. And I did I did my hardcore studies, and I think I may have hit the answer to who these angels are. We we did a former show talking about Harut and Marut in the in the um, Quran, and they refer to them as being at the Tower of Babel. Okay, so we know where the Tower of Babel is now, and it's a city called Borzipa. It has a tower. It literally has the the platform for where right, the, the Tower of Babel was. And we know that that's what it was because Nebuchadnezzar literally inscribed on there and said the people who a former king built it and they abandoned it because their language was confused. So literally, we know without a doubt that that was the place. And the gaunt patron deity of that place was Nabu. And we and so and who was Nabu? He was the god of uh, of, of knowledge and writing. So we go back to the Book of Enoch. A certain being. It was word as Tenemu. And I kind of did a little study with how that name could have been corrupted over time because um, uh, the Ethiopic version of of Enoch chapter 69 is extremely damaged but and, and confusing. And so I've been working hard to repair it, but it seems to say not Tenemu, but also but it says, Nabu, Nabu, who taught writing and wisdom. And so we know, so it seems to me that this angel, he fell after the flood and was doing this. The second angel is the one who has the most significance to me. It calls him Kazdi. Kazdi is the, um, the Hebrew word for Chaldean. And so why would it say that? Well, the Chaldeans was a line of Babylonian kings. That was Nebuchadnezzar's Neo-Babylonian Empire. Right. Was well, the Chaldeans. Right. But the first most attested was the Amorite. The Amorite kingdom. And God says to the Amorites, says to Abraham concerning the Amorites, something similar that he said to the angels before the flood. That's right. It says, then in the fourth generation, they will return here, for the iniquity of the Amorite is not yet complete. So, I think that this, that, that Enoch's chastity may be a corruption, because it may have originally said Amorite, the first line of the Babylonian Empire. And this entity was the one who started the whole problem. And guess what, guys? His alternate name, uh, um, 
the Amorite name comes from Amaru, the god of the Amorites, and his alternate name is Martu, which sounds a lot like the Quran's Marut. And Mrs. Rudd really told me that these were the two angels who were behind it. So, boy, off the hook. So now you have a way pre-Sodom and Gomorrah for there to have been this og that survived the flood. Yes, a purified line. And I want to show you all something else. Um, something that is... Uh, very important. In the Psalms. And it says, And in the sun he placed his tabernacle. He is like a bridegroom coming forth from his chamber. He will rejoice as a giant to run his course. So why is a giant re rejoicing to run his course? Book of Enoch is very clear in referring to the angels like the stars that transgress their proper course. They abandon their course. To me, it seems to be saying that Semyaza was like Judas. Semyaza abandoned his office. I mean, and, and like Judas, someone had to replace him. And who would this be? Perhaps his son, this this giant. And now he can finish the course that his father failed to do. And you already clearly stated that this og could have been, well, is represented in the heavens as Orion, correct? Or his father. His father is, he, is I mean, is, is this guy the father of Nimrod? Is Nimrod being shown in the sky? It's it's hard to say. Well, let's do this. Why why would God do that? Why is this place in the heavens the absolute best place to represent the fall? What happened during the flood? You would take note that here in Stellarium, do you see this symbol right here? This is the solstice symbol. This is right here, right about right above his club. This is the point where the equator is the furthest away from the ecliptic. Okay? The ecliptic is the belt of heaven. You will see the sun here, and it's going through the constellations Taurus. Right there is Gemini, the twins. This is the belt of heaven. This is the ecliptic. Okay? This is the equator. You will take note, this is the three stars. That's uh, the reason why the pyramids of of Giza was built, you'll take note the top star of Orion's belt marks off the belt of heaven. That is the equator projected out into the stars. Yeah, and the and the rabbinical text will point out that they, they'll say that Semyaza, when he repented, he hung himself from Orion. And um, we also see in Job, it says, who can loosen the um, the cords of Orion. This is what is is talking about when he says the cords of Orion. He's literally talking about the equator and the ecliptic. Remember, the days of Noah, we were at a zero degree axis, and the two were one. There wasn't two lines in the heaven. Mm -hmm. There wasn't a belt of heaven and a belt of earth. And so that I only exists post flood. Now that we've been tilted. At a 23.4 degree axis. And it's Orion that marks that off. And I pointed out to you how that's um, that's just like Atlas. In Greek mythology, right. Atlas lifted up the Earth. But now we see a giant here lifting up those two right. things. And then let's show them the demonstration of him with his arrow. See, see the shape of it? It looks like an arrow. It looks like a bow. Okay. Here, right here, you see the lines. It looks like a bow. And here can be represented as an arrow. When you see what he's pointing to, he's pointing right here. Right here's the target. Can you plainly see that? Right there's the target. Now let's get the picture back in. That, this arrow he's going to fire is pointing directly into the head of, the, of Cetus the sea dragon. The Leviathan. 
So you have to understand that this is all encoded. The belts, the bands of Orion is the is our axial tilt. This happened when this happened. Now you'll take note that this is clearly depicted what's going to happen. Uh, right here is uh, Beetlejuice, of course. Everybody remembers here uh, that we've had it all over the news. Uh, it's been dimming, flashing. Just remember that this is Micah chapter 5, verse 1. You'll take note that this club is striking the lion's whelp on the face. That's these three stars here. The lion's cheek. The cheek of the lion. When we go to the biblical text, switching back over here to the word, go to Micah chapter 5, verse 1. Switch over to the New American Standard Bible. Now muster yourselves in troops, daughter of troops. They've laid seeds against us. With the rod they will smite the judge of Israel on the cheek. But as for you, Bethlehem, Ephratah, too little to be among the clans of Judah. This is supposed to be a prophecy of the birth of Christ, right? Bethlehem, Ephratah. You'll take note. Ladies and gentlemen, when this strike takes place, of course, the target, well, that's for another episode. The point being that this is perfectly represented in the heavens with Orion. When the sign of the strike occurs, the great day of he who setteth upon the throne, the equator will once again go up and be parallel with the ecliptic. Literally, the stars will fall one-third of heaven. Can you show us, uh, can you show us Ophiuchus? Yes, that is the other end of the heavens. You will also take note that right there is the other sign for the solstice. Right there. Right there's the solstice. Right there's the greatest point. So this is the exact opposite place in the heavens. Now we have a scorpion right at his foot. Okay, right at so his foot. Okay, so this takes also a little mythology for you to understand. Right. Orion was poisoned by a scorpion. Right. And he was going to die, but who comes to heal him? Ophiuchus. Ophiuchus, the serpent bearer, and like referring to another show <laughs> about the serpents and scorpions. Right, serpents and scorpions. Perhaps this is what's happening. Yeah. God's making that the division between the first blood giants and the ones after. And also the healer. Also the healer, the sons of Rapha. And so, basically, we have the uh, the gist of a story of what happened before the flood. And right now, we just basically like have a lot of historical events and can, can just piece together what may have been happening. Well, just take note, Aaron, that that the two equinoxes, when the days of equal lengths, is when the sun is right here, when it crosses the equator and the ecliptic. This is when our north and south pole is exactly perpendicular to the ecliptic, so the days equal with the night. This is, uh, of course, John's reference when he says, uh, Jesus says, is there not 12 hours in a day? This is what he's talking about. So prophetically, you understand that when we go back to the days of Noah, this all gets worked out. Excuse me. Once we go back to the days of Noah, the equator comes up to the ecliptic. We go to a zero degree axis and the heavens will be healed. We'll go back to, well, the days of Noah. You'll take note that the two pivot points is in Pisces, the sign of the 153 fish. And of course, the other one lies in the sign of the woman. So, if there is a giant who chooses to follow God, perhaps they become angels or something else. But we know that they, I mean, would you really call them a demon? I mean, and this is true about the, um, this, uh, let's take these points. Okay, in Greek mythology, which is where um, the, the Hebrews got the translation, a demon for an evil spirit. Demons in, um, in Greek mythology is a very broad term. 
Right. They were not necessarily evil. A kakodemon was evil. A eudemon was a good one. And that distinction is made in Greek mythology. The Hebrew, the, the our Bibles make a different distinction. What is it? Unclean demons. Exactly. And if there's unclean demons, are there clean, clean demons? demons? Christian conspiracy theory. Unhinged. Off the hook. <laughs> so, uh, boy, a lot of information jammed into this one, Eric. But here you have a way, we have a mechanation as to how a giant could have survived the flood. And we started out exactly where we should have. The flood did not address the giants or the angels. It never did. Christ is perfectly clear with what is in the Old and New Testaments. The flood came because of the wickedness of man, not to wipe the giants out, as everybody presupposes. So, in my... Um, here in the text, it, it gives us a vague idea of what the angels did about the giants. The text there says, I mean, I altered it. I don't know if I agree with my alternation yet. Um, the the um, fashion basically originally said Iran, and that was and that was well the Minicans were from that area and that I figured they probably corrupted it, but I'm not sure quite yet. Maybe this is saying Iran because that's where Og is going to corrupt. And so this is what I said: the angels separated towns for them, thirty-six of them, which the spirit of life had prepared for them. In the beginning. It sounds a whole lot like the cities of refuge. It does. Hear it again. Before the sons of the giants were born, who knew not righteous and piety among themselves, 36 towns had been prepared and erected, so that the sons of the giants could live in them. Who live a thousand years. So, prepared these cities them. How do we interpret that? Do we say towns is actually basically the Hebrew word ear, and it was actually meant to say 36 watchers? Or like that. How do you interpret that? So, the rabbinical text will say that God gave, allowed one to ride on the ark, and just the Bible just does not seem to imply that that happened. No. But it also says that everything that had the spirit of life died. But then again, it says, spirit of life had prepared this for them. The only explanation is that he was in the womb. Yeah, if, if he was in the womb, but that would mean that the son of Semyaza would not have been the one who survived, but the, but the child in the womb. Whose father was who? Was that? was Ohio. But if you say that, that the child in the womb was Og, why would God want Og to survive? Yes. We knew it was going to be evil. Well, so that doesn't necessarily mean that God is not going to give you a chance to do what's right. We all have a choice. You don't have to like it. There is a um, a Hebrew thing that I, I did not mention because I don't know if I... I don't, I, I don't really agree with it. That, it said that the, there was no flood in the land of uh, the Philistines, uh, which was where he fled. Maybe that's a vague corruption of what may have happened. So God didn't flood the whole earth. See, see, and that's the problem. You could also say the whole land. But if perhaps, what if they went underground? That would explain why he would battle... Leviathan, of being a, a monster that lives under the earth in the abyss, basically. I don't know. I mean, you do realize what would happen if you took a flood and flooded over an igloo, don't you? Nothing. You'd float to the top of the igloo. Now, you know why an igloo is half spherical, don't you? It could take the crushing weight of all the water on top of it because it's a spherical dome. 
so you'd have the bubble in the dough able to withstand the massive weight coming down upon it because it would be equally distributed perfectly. So if you created an igloo structure just like, just like the Eskimos use today, you could survive on fire. Of course, you could do the same thing underground. You would have to, under a hill, dig a channel down and hollow out the mountain. You could do the same thing. Okay, and we can alternatively say that they died, but their spirits, when they rose up, God had mercy on their spirit. Yeah, that's another alternative. It's a little easier to work with. But then I wouldn't explain how Og was a physical being. Since when does God make it easy for you to work with what he has to say? He just gives it to you. He gives it to you point blank range, both barrels square in the chest. I mean, so what exactly does God say that's easy to deal with? Well, an interpretation that works. <laughs> and as you can see, I, I was using the word Agaya, King Agaya, which I suggested this. Maybe it was an Og, but someone who had a similar name. And Ogaya was the father of Og. Yeah, we could be looking at the, you know, names progressively being added onto. And that would explain Agaius. The name Agaius is the Greek form of Ogaya. So I think that possibly that that's what was going on, and that, that, that form of that name. One thing's for sure. Og was the remnant of the Rephaim. And this creates a window of opportunity. If what David Rowe has found about Imrakar to be true, you have a way now that it was possibly that Nimrod was of the Raphaim, the good giants, and he was hunting the bad giants. Yeah, and was this the son of this giant? We have the connection of Arata, and Arata, the king of Arata, being connected with and with this, we know that Cush was considered the firstborn son of Ham. Right. If he was born on the ark and under by by Ham's wife, which was the interpretation that was given in some texts, then that would explain why he would have become the father of a giant, right? Why he would become the father of the giant Nimrod. Right. And we even saw with that, that king of Arata, the word Cush appears in his name. And you don't have to like what the Bible says about Nimrod. You pop open the Septuagint, stare it right in the face, and it says that Nimrod hunted giants. Yep. Says that twice. You got that in, you got that in Genesis. And, you have and he was before the Lord. You don't have to like that either. He hunted giants before the Lord. Literally, he was hunting giants for the Lord. You, you don't have to like it. You just have to you have to come out and just you know, that's the first thing you got to do. Is just, The Bible does say that. And come to grips with what it's saying and try to work it out. I mean, is this not our motto here at Christian Conspiracy Theory? I.e., Christian leaders inappropriately use the phrase conspiracy theory in an attempt to to dismissively discredit hypothetical speculations about the Bible in any form, we don't. Let's talk about it. That's what Christian conspiracy theory is for. It's what it's for. Uh, you can get us on the Fringe Radio Network. Uh, the latest one is uh, Firstborn of Creation. Love this one. Absolutely loved it. Uh, also on the Fringe Radio Network, uh, you can get the Naked Bible Podcast. Uh, latest one is uh, 321 Q&A. Um, you can also get a uh, view from the bunker. Uh, the latest one is 42620. Uh, you can uh, get the lowdown, the feed, uh, has been fixed on ironshow.com backslash uh, alt. Uh, FRN4HTML. Uh, so check out the uh, Fringe Radio Network. 
That's where you can get us. Oh, and heads up, you better figure this out, because remember what your daddy's always, always stated. Always. If you need a hint, you ain't got a clue. On the French Radio Network, one of those, if you start looking around at the video and then look at the audio, you realize that on the French Radio Network, sometimes there's a bonus footage at the end. Amen? So, hey, until next time, ladies and gentlemen, God bless and God speed. And uh, if there's something you want us to uh, discuss that is found in the Bible, let us know. We'd be happy to do it. Until next time. God bless. God speak.